Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we hear and learn and rejoice in this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, chapter one verses 4 to 11. In this account, John comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Jesus came and was baptized, and before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, go, teach, baptize. On the day of Pentecost, the apostles preached, and the people were baptized. It's all about the waters of baptism. We sometimes underestimate and forget how fundamental, how important, how foundational baptism is to the church, that it is the way by which God grows, established, strengthens, and comforts his people. We think sometimes that we need new methods, that we have better ideas than God, how to grow his church. And it's true that if our goal was to fill the pews of this particular building, we probably could do that better through other means. But there is no better means for growing the church of God, for bringing people to Christ and establishing them in faith than those methods that God has given us, namely baptism and the preaching of the word. It's all about the waters. Verses 4 and 5. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. What does it mean when it says that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins? Prepositions can be vague sometimes. We can mean a lot of different things depending on the context. If somebody didn't know my situation, and I told them, well, that's my house over there. They might assume that I own it. But of course, we know that I don't actually own it. I just live in it. Fortunately for us, we don't have to guess at what the prepositions mean in this case because God's word clearly enlightens us. We can even go back to the Old Testament to the great prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 25 and 26. God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice that God applies the water. I will sprinkle water on you. And God cleanses them up from their sins. I will clean you. And God gives them a new heart that is a heart of repentance. And so Ezekiel makes it clear that when John says a baptism of repentance, he does not mean that they are baptized because they are repentant, but rather that through baptism they receive a heart of repentance. That repentance itself is got something that God accomplishes in the waters of baptism along with that washing of sins, that cleansing from our filth. We read the same thing in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 7, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then again in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Notice that once again, this is God's doing. You wash me, and I will be clean. You wash me, and I will have a new heart, a heart of repentance. Through baptism, God gives 
both repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And so when John called the people to come out to be baptized, it was through that baptism that they were repentant. John was sent as a forerunner, as you remember, to proclaim the way, to prepare the way before the coming of the Christ. And this is how he prepared the people. Rather, this is how God prepared the people for the coming of the Christ. Through the waters of baptism, they were washed through the waters of baptism, they received a repentant heart. They did not come to be baptized because they were already ready and wanted to show it. They came to be baptized in order to receive repentance. Such wonderful things that God accomplishes through his sacrament. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Even John's appearance and dietary habits serve to impress upon us the importance and the wonder of this sacrament, this baptism which God sent him to proclaim. John doesn't have time for such things as making bread and growing food, does he? He is there to preach and to give a baptism of repentance, and that is what he does. And he trusts with the Lord to provide him with food in the wilderness. His clothing and his eating habits serve two purposes, the first of which is to remind us of the prophecy of Micah that Elijah would come before the great day of the Lord. And indeed, Elijah's clothing does remind us of the prophet Elijah. This is how Elijah himself was described, and so it's a witness to all of Israel that that Elijah that God foretold has come, but it also serves to draw our attention to the mission, the task that... John had been sent to do. And nothing is going to interrupt his goal of preaching and baptizing. We have a tendency to think that we'll get to work, we'll take care of those things that God wants us to do after we've taken care of everything else. There's an office, or there's an episode of The Office where Pam gets in trouble because she starts off drinking her coffee instead of working. And her boss says, well, why aren't you working? And she says, well, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm getting ready. And the boss, no, no, you should be working, right? You should be getting to it. I remember one pastor talking about how every time he went to pray, there was always something else that distracted him, something else that needed to be done. We're easily distracted from the work the Lord has set before us, but John is not. He's not concerned with worldly goods like what to eat and what to wear. He wears the coarsest, the cheapest of clothing, and he eats whatever he can easily find in the wilderness because he knows the importance, the preciousness of what God is accomplishing through this baptism, and he's there to get to work. Verse 7 and 8. He preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose, stand, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Even as John is baptizing and preaching a repentance, he is also pointing the people forward. Don't be content with this baptism, he's telling them, because something greater, someone greater is coming. The other Gospels add the detail that uh, he, will, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark is usually more succinct, and he is here as well, more to the point, but the meaning is the same. 
baptism with the Holy Spirit. One is coming who is greater than I, John is saying, and as he is greater than I, his baptism also is greater than mine. John is not implying here that Jesus' baptism is going to be substantially different, that is, different in form. He's not suggesting, as some think, that John's baptism, John baptized with water, but Jesus is bringing a new baptism that won't use water, but will use something else. But rather, he's pointing us to the fact that Jesus will come and he will add. He's going to baptize with water, but he's going to add something to that baptism that is lacking in John's. In a similar way, if I were to tell you, well, I preach with words, but someone's coming next week who's going to preach to you with fire. You would probably, you would hopefully understand he's not going to set the church on fire, but <laughs> that he's going to be more passionate, more excited, uh, better even than I am. We, you don't have anyone new coming next week. It'll be me again. <clears throat> but you would understand that, and that's what John is emphasizing here. Uh, that just as Jesus is greater, so the baptism he brings is greater. It's still a baptism of water. It's still a baptism that gives repentance. It's still a baptism that gives the forgiveness of sins, but it also adds the Holy Spirit. So that now we receive three gifts from Jesus' baptism rather than just the two of John's baptism. If the baptism of John was one of Great power and importance was one that was precious so that John was so focused and dedicated to it. How much more ought we to esteem, not look lightly or not to think of it as a common thing, but to rejoice greatly in this wonderful gift that God has given to us in all that he has promised us through that baptism that we have received. Verses 9 and 10. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Remember back in Advent, uh, we looked, we studied uh, Isaiah chapter 64. And we saw there how the prophet Isaiah was so eager, we had that prayer pleading with the Lord, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would shake the mountains, that you would come down to us. He was praying for the coming and waiting anxiously for the coming of the Messiah with power, power to rend the heavens and shake the earth. The Gospel of Mark emphasizes that the heavens were open. He doesn't just say open. He actually uses the word schizo, which means to tear apart. He's pointing us back to that same prophecy that we heard in Advent, reminding us that here it is fulfilled in the baptism of Jesus. The heavens are torn open. Mark also uses this same word in, in chapter 15, verse 38. When Jesus dies, the veil in the temple is schizo, is torn open. It's interesting that Josephus, the historian, lets us know that what was painted on that, that veil in the temple was a picture of the sky, of the heavens. Not of the stars. Josephus is clear it's not a picture of the stars, but a picture of the sky. And so both here in Jesus' baptism and also there at his death, the heavens are torn open. That which separates us from God is torn apart. The heavens, the veil, can no longer keep us from God. But in the baptism of Jesus, God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ to make his home with us. The heavens are torn open. This is the fulfillment of 
Isaiah 64. We might ask, though, if this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 64, where's the shaking of the mountains? Well, John the Baptist tells us that he will come with fire. The shaking of the mountains is fulfilled in the preaching of Jesus. Just as the, the heavens are torn open at his baptism, so the mountains are shaken with his preaching and with that call to repentance. This, once again, reveals to us the, the mystery of God. Because we would not have known we would not have seen the baptism of Jesus as a fulfillment of Isaiah 64 if it had not been revealed to us through Scripture and by the Holy Spirit through the evangelist Mark. If the Holy Spirit didn't open our eyes to understand this, we would still be waiting for something more powerful, something louder, right? We'd be waiting for a physical ripping open of the heavens and a physical shaking of the mountains. We'd be saying, well, where is that power that, that Isaiah 64 describes? Where is that shaking of the mountains? But here the Holy Spirit reveals to us that it is there. It is just contained within that sacrament of baptism. It's kind of as if you set off a nuclear bomb, but you had some, some kind of sci-fi sci device that absorbed all the energy and radiation of the bomb even as it was set off. So that people standing by say, well, <clears throat> where is the power Where's the smoke? Where's the fire? Where's the, the great power of a nuclear bomb? I, I didn't see it. Well, there, no, because it's there. It, it was absorbed into that device. So also here, the power that Isaiah describes, that the prophet describes in Isaiah 64, is present, but is hidden in this sacrament. So that it's hard for us to see without the Holy Spirit and without that faith. It's kept locked in that sacrament. It's there for us, even as it is given through the baptism of Jesus, it comes to us as well through our baptism. Verse 11, Then a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see how joyful, how excited God himself is at the baptism of his Son? How he rejoices in that he is able to do this for us through his son Jesus Christ so that he himself opens the heaven to talk to us and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In his baptism, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. It comes down upon him and through that baptism, he gives the Holy Spirit to all of us. The prophet Joel foretold and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Joel tells us that the spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And that term all flesh has to be understood in relation to the nation of Israel. So the prophet Joel isn't saying that every person on earth will receive the Holy Spirit, but rather that the Holy Spirit will no longer be contained within the nation, that it is no longer simply those who are descended from Abraham physically who will be God's people, but rather that Spirit will be poured out into people from, as Revelation tells us, every tribe and tongue and nation. And we see this, of course, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when, again, the apostles preached and the people from every tribe and tongue and nation from all over the world gathered together there, received baptism, and through baptism received that Holy Spirit. And Jesus now becomes the vessel 
through which that Holy Spirit comes to us. It came to Him in His baptism, and through baptism, He pours it out on us so that that prophecy of Joel continues to be fulfilled. It was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, as the Bible makes clear, but it is still fulfilled every time we come to His sacrament of baptism. It's truly all about the waters of baptism, isn't it? Through the waters of baptism, Jesus was anointed for his ministry. And at the waters of baptism, the heavens were opened and God spoke to man. In the waters of baptism, we receive forgiveness, repentance, that new heart, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not a gift that we should look lightly on or consider as a common thing. But rather, we should rejoice and receive with glad hearts such a wonderful and blessed gift and marvel indeed at all that God has done for us in his holy sacrament. Amen.